Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. Thank you so very much, and I have enjoyed myself immensely being here with your church, and thank you for being here on Tuesday night. As I look out, it's a very good crowd this evening, and I, again, I, uh, I go back to the days that I was pastoring, and even the days before I was pastoring, and, and uh, thinking about missions conferences that were part of our church, and it's just always the, the, really the highlight of the calendar, and it seems to be that, the case uh, here in this church as well. And, speaks very well of your heart and your desire to obviously make a difference and an impact in this world for Christ. And uh, on behalf of the missionaries, again, I want to just say thank you for your kindness to them and, and to my, myself as well. And we have just enjoyed uh, the fellowship. And uh, one of the things I enjoy about the traveling is getting to meet so many new uh, folks, specifically uh, missionaries who are God has called to do things in different places in this world. And I'm so glad that he has. And I'm glad for the testimony we heard tonight. And our brother, uh, Brother Feinhauer, and, and what God has called them to do. And uh, certainly we understand that there's a lot of needy places in this world that need the gospel. There's no question about that. Well, if you take your copy of God's Word tonight, let's go to the book of Matthew chapter 9, please. Matthew chapter 9. And we'll begin reading here in just a moment. We'll start in verse number 35. We'll read down to the end of the chapter to verse number 38. So four verses will be our text tonight. And uh, we'll look at this passage together again this evening. And uh, ask the Lord just to help us. Verse 35, the Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he'd send forth laborers into his harvest. With God's help tonight, I want to speak to you on the subject of Jesus' one prayer request. Jesus' one prayer request. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful tonight for Tuesday night, for the opportunity to be together. Thank you for this church and its desire, Lord, to be in a place where their hearts can be stirred and Lord, their hearts can be spoken to by the Holy Spirit and be encouraged and helped by rubbing shoulders again with missionaries and, and the, the, the church family. Lord, it is our prayer tonight that we would hear from you and that you would stir in our hearts again. Lord, I need your help tonight. These folks need your help. We just want to do what you want us to do. We want to say what you want us to say. So help us, Lord, tonight as we attempt to do that. Thank you again for Pastor Crawford and his family. Thank you for those that have come alongside of him and the staff and the church that supports it. Lord, I pray that you just bless all of it. And we'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. So when we think about Jesus during his early life in ministry, one of the things that if you do a study in his life, you'll, you'll know that he did a lot of teaching on this matter of prayer. Specifically, the, probably the most extensive message that's recorded for us in the Bible is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, is what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't know if you've ever taken time. Obviously, I'm sure you probably have had read through it, maybe even heard preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. 
But there's a good portion of that, that sermon that deals with prayer. In fact, in that sermon, we have Jesus giving us what we know or what we have come to know as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And you, you know it. I, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I would say that most of us would agree that it's really not the prayer that we're supposed to pray every day. Uh, I don't know, even know that Jesus gave that prayer for us just to say it over and over again. I don't know if there's anything wrong with reciting it, but the truth of the matter is that's not the reason he gave it. He gave it to us to show us a model. In other words, what we're supposed to incorporate in when we're praying, how we're supposed to approach our Heavenly Father. So he did some teaching on that in chapter 6. In chapter 7, we'll find the statement, Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and he that knocketh uh, asketh it shall be given. Seeketh findeth, and he that knocketh it shall be opened. I get it right, okay. Uh, but, but he gives that in chapter 7. And so he deals with this matter of prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. I, I love the, 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 the Gospel of Luke. Probably of all my, uh, of the Gospels, I love Luke the most. I, I love Luke's writing style. I understand the Holy Spirit was in it. But God used individuals and as, we, as he gave us the word. So I love the way that Luke writes. And I love the fact in Luke chapter 18, verse number 1, Jesus tells a parable that men ought always to, uh, to, to pray and not to faint. The idea of fainting there is not like passing out. It's the idea of quitting, uh, the idea of stopping. And so he, he reminds them in that parable, and he talks about a widow woman. And so he, he elaborates upon this widow woman had a problem, and she went to the judge, an unjust judge, who really, really didn't care much about her problem. In fact, he wasn't even going to pay attention to her, but she refused to quit coming. So every day he woke up, there she was. She was standing in the courtyard. Hey, I'm here again. You've got to hear me. And she did it over and over again. And, the, and the, the, the thought of the parable was this. Though the judge didn't care anything about her, he said, hey, this woman, because of the importunity, the fact that she's troubling me, I'm going to answer her prayer. So he teaches us about prevailing prayer, that we pray over and over and over again. We find that the great apostle Paul makes a statement in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. We're always to pray. We're to be in a, a state of prayer. Uh, again, we can't walk around with our eyes closed all the time. You certainly don't want to drive your car that way, although I've been around people I think they're driving that way. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is that it's a state of mind. It's a, the idea that we're praying, uh, uh, constantly just whispering things to God, and, and we're talking to the Lord about issues of our life. And, and so we find that one of my favorite prayer promises in all the Bible is found in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 33, and verse number 3. Where Jeremiah, and I think about his circumstance, it was overwhelming. He's locked up in a prison house. Life is not good. And God shows up and he says, Jeremiah, call unto me and I'll answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. So throughout the pages of the Bible, we are instructed about prayer. We're talk, told that as the people of God, we're to pray, we're to approach our Heavenly Father. We have a, a benevolent Heavenly Father who wants to help us. He wants to help us. So Jesus does a lot of instruction about prayer. Now, that, clearly, Jesus, the Son of God, put an extreme value on praying in his teaching and in his life and his demonstration. And that being said, the statement I'm about to make, I, 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 have, I have not yet found anyone tell me that it's not true. In my study, I found that it's true. And, and here's the statement. In all the places in the Bible that Jesus ta- talks about, in the Gospels, talks about us praying and, and how to pray and all that kind of things, I find only two places in the entire Bible where Jesus said to his disciples, Hey guys, I want you to pray with me about something. One was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that he was betrayed. 
He's there, and of course, he's overwhelmed. And he said, hey, guys, would you watch with me and pray one hour that you enter not into temptation? For truly, the, uh, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus, in his agonizing hour, said, hey, would you pray with me? And the other place is here. This one place that I find in the New Testament where Jesus said, there's a specific prayer request that I want you to join with me in praying. And it's about what we just read here in Matthew chapter 9. Now let's walk through this text very quickly tonight and let's see some things. And would you notice with me, first of all, what I call the timing of this prayer request. We find that in verse 35. Verse 35 says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So the first thing I would say to you about this timing of this prayer request is this was a busy season of what we call travel in the life of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, if you've been in church at all, you know that Jesus didn't have a long window of ministry opportunity. From the time that he was born till his 30th birthday, up to his 30th year in life, he pretty much lived in obscurity. Uh, he, he wasn't declared uh, openly to the people that he was the Messiah. We know that when he was born, the, the angels declared he was the Messiah. His parent, his mother knew, his stepfather Joseph knew, their, Simeon knew, and Mary knew that he was Messiah. But it wasn't like, hey, every day from that point on, he's out there pouring out himself. But all of a sudden, at his, when he becomes a legal age as a man, he steps out of that obscurity and begins to present himself as the Messiah begins with the baptism of John, goes into the wilderness and comes out of the wilderness and begins this public declaration type of ministry this, this, uh, de- demonstrating and preaching that he is the Son of God. And so he, it's clear that Jesus is busy. Once he starts that public ministry, he didn't sit around and wait for people to come to him. Although they did. We understand as we read the Bible, there were times when multitudes would come. The Sermon on the Mount was uh, was spoken to multitudes. There were times when Jesus fed 5,000 besides, uh, besides the women and children. And so uh, there were times when there were vast multitudes. But I, I find it interesting that he didn't just necessarily wait for everybody to come to him. That he went, the Bible here says he went to every city. Think about this, every city and every village. So, so this is a busy season of a man saying, look, I've got a work to do and I'm going to spend my time, I'm going to spend my effort doing it. He's busy. He, he goes to the cities. Those are the pockets. Population pockets, uh, they they would know him of his message, and then he visits the villages where the they did the the uh, the agrarian type of lifestyle where they lived off the land, they grew the crops, they took care of the the cattle and the and the sheep. So he went to all those places, and and when the Bible says every, it means every. So he went everywhere. It's a busy season of travel. But would you also see not only is it a season of travel, but it's a season of ministry. Notice he's not just on a visitation situation where he's going to see things. Now, I've had the opportunity on five occasions to go to what we call the, the, the lands of the Bible, the Holy Land. And most of the time when we go there, we go to see things. We go to see things of antiquity. We go to see things that we've read about in the Bible and we, we, we learn, we, we grow. But Jesus being there obviously is not just seeing things. Most of the time when most of us think about taking a, a trip of a lifetime or going to visit something, we're going to see something. Well, Jesus didn't go to see necessarily. He went to minister. He went to preach the gospel of the kingdom. He went to say to the Jewish people, look, you have your law, you have your own righteousness, but you're lacking. You need a Messiah. You need a Savior. And I'm here to present myself. That was the gospel of the kingdom. Get ready. Because that's what John said. Get ready because the kingdom of heaven is about to appear. And Jesus was 
a representation of that kingdom. So he's preaching the gospel. And then would you notice as he's in those cities, in those villages, that he heals every sickness and every disease among the people. Amen. I, I wish. I wished I could heal. <laughs> I do. Because I've seen way too much death in my lifetime. I've seen too many little children sick and too many middle-aged people sick and too much death. I wish, I wish I could. But Jesus healed, think about this, there never wasn't a person he didn't heal. Not one. So this is a very busy season in his life. You, you know, here, here's what I want you to think about. In the midst of that busy season, Jesus says to his disciples, hey, there's something important here. Not just busyness, but we need, to, we need to really get down to business and get to a point where we see something and pray about it. We'll talk more about that. But here, here's what I want us to know. Many times we as human beings, we as Americans, we're busy all the time. We filled our life with busyness. I mean, we, we've got so many things going on. That's one, I guess one of the benefits, if you want to call anything that comes out of COVID a, a benefit, but one of the things that came out of COVID was we had to stop our busy lifestyle a little bit. We had to put the brakes on a few things and we had to kind of maybe just sit back for just a moment and say, well, I can't do that because we can't. But, you know, here's what I find sometimes because we're busy, we neglect sometimes the most important thing, which is prayer. We're rushing out the door in the morning because we got to get someplace and then we get home and we got to rush to this and we got to rush to that and we got to go here, we got to go there and it's time to go to bed and then we're too tired and we fall asleep. And I'm just simply saying, hey, someplace in our lives, we need to carve out a little bit of time, spend alone with the Heavenly Father. In the midst of our busyness, we need to say, God, help me, help me to have some time for you. Not just time, but quality time where I can call upon you and deal with it. So we see, obviously, this timing of this prayer request. Would you notice, secondly, what I call the motivation of this prayer request? I find that in verse 36. The Bible says in verse 36, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Why? Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Would you notice that Jesus saw the multitudes and when he saw them, he was moved with compassion. You know, some people have this idea that God is a God who's distant and uncaring. Some people in this world, some, maybe some people that you work with, maybe somebody that lives across the street. I mean, you may have a family member, maybe someone very close to you who has that idea. You know, God, he doesn't really care. He's just out there someplace. Well, I want you to see that this is God in the flesh and he cares. He cares. That's what the, the Bible says here. He saw the multitudes, and when he saw them, he was moved in, with compassion. In verse 36, when it says he saw, it means that he, he, he saw to the deepest sense. The idea here means he, to know them in the deepest sense. I don't know about you, but most of the time when I see people, I don't necessarily know them in the deepest sense. Most of the time when I look at someone, it's a superficial judgment. I think I shared with you on Sunday that I have to be careful because I can get very pharisaical sometimes in my judgment of people. Because I see somebody who's different than me. Someone who doesn't necessarily dress like I dress or doesn't necessarily have what I would call a, an independent Baptist look. <laughs> and we're living in a culture today that's kind of going a little bit crazy. 
maybe I shouldn't say a little bit, but should I say a whole lot crazy? And if I'm not careful, I can make these superficial judgments. I could even look at this congregation. You may look at me and perhaps not make necessary superficial judgments because you've heard me preach for the last few days. But, but, but I'm just simply saying, sometimes it's easy to look at somebody and say, well, that looks like a nice person. And maybe they're not nice. And that looks like a mean person, but maybe they're not, you know. But we make these superficial judgments. But I want you to know that when Jesus looked at people, he didn't see them superficially. By the way, you know that God sees you tonight? You may, you may have everyone else full, but he knows. He knows. He's looking at the inside. And that's what this passage tells us, that when he saw people, he saw them in their deepest sense. And, and then the Bible says that he was moved with compassion. It's a phrase that's associated with feeling and sensing things in the deepest part of a man. You know, the, the, the Middle Eastern culture talked about the bowels. It's the gut area. Just be frank. It's just talking about the gut. And sometimes, you know, you, you feel things deeply in that part of it. When you're not feeling well, you feel it deeply. And, and so when the Bible here says that he was moved with compassion, the, the indication is that what he saw, he internalized it. He, he sensed it. You know, sometimes when people deal with stress, uh, sometimes they, they have digestive issues. And, and the thought here is given to us that Jesus sensed what, what he saw. He was so moved him that it, it physically had an impact on him. So he was moved with compassion on them. You, you know, there's something about the eyesight. That's why when these missionaries come, they show you a, a brief, if you would, just a, a little snippet of, of their life. So, so many of you may never get to Australia, Korea, to uh, Mexico, to Germany. We may never get to those places. And you, you may never get to the... Southeast Asia portion of what we call the 1040 window. But, but I'm saying when you get there and you see the teeming masses and the multitudes, there's something about that. Our church planted a church back in um, 19, I'm guessing maybe 1980, maybe 85 in New York City. Uh, we planted the Open Door Bible Baptist Church of Astoria, Queens, where Brother Pete Montoro is the pastor, was planted under the Cleveland Baptist Church. Pete was on our staff. He married one of the Marshall girls, and they went to uh, New York City and planted this church. And I used to hate to go to New York City. I, I literally despised it. Because I, I, I like to drive and I like to move. <laughs> Much like Dallas, only on steroids, New York City. You get into New York City, and I mean, it's literally bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. And everybody's beeping their horns. And I mean, it's just, I, I just want to get out and I want to choke somebody. I'm just being honest, you know. So my wife says, you don't drive the same when you leave New York. I said, no, I don't. I become, I become aggressive, you know. I was uh, in New York City about two years ago. And uh, I, I had spoken to a men's group up in, north, in the Northeast. It was a, like a men's retreat. And so Brother Pete asked me to come back with him and preach the, sun, that, the Sunday after the meeting. And it was a really good Sunday. And, and he took me on Monday and, and, he, and we walked. And I, we took the train and we went down. I had, had not been down to, to uh, where the trade centers had stood. I hadn't seen the, the memorials. And so he took me down there. And, and it's amazing. It's fascinating. New York City is a fascinating place because every place you go, you hear another language. People of every, every 
race and kindred and tribe and tongue is right there at their doorstep. I mean, it's come to them. You know, and when I see that, when I begin to see it, and I'm not seeing cars, I'm not hearing horns, I'm seeing people. It makes a difference. And I don't know how we as God's people can sometimes look at things or maybe, maybe we just, maybe put our blinders on. But I'm telling you, Jesus said, hey, look, I saw something. What I saw moved me. The prophet Jeremiah, we mentioned him a few moments ago, but Jeremiah was known as a weeping prophet. He's a prophet of compassion. And, and he says in G- Lamentations, the book of Lamentations, of course, is a book of lamenting. And Jeremiah's ministry, of course, was just to constantly remind the, the nation of, uh, of Judah, why are you going into captivity? Here's why you're going into captivity. Because you've broken God's covenant, you've broken God's law, and, and, he, and he hammered that home. But he didn't do it with, with a hatred or anger or animosity. There was, a, there was a brokenness about that. Here's what he says in chapter 3. My, he says, my eyes run, my eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eye trickled down and ceaseth not without any intermission till the Lord looked down and behold from heaven. My eye affecteth my heart because of of the daughters of my city. So here's Jeremiah saying, man, I see the destruction of my people and it's moving me. But you notice that he saw their deepest need. I said he, 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 he saw them. He saw their deepest needs. When it says he saw them as those that fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Jesus saw them as those that were facing the ravages of their sin. We talked a little bit about, on Sunday, about sheep and and the shepherds. We talked about that relationship where that shepherd loses one sheep. He leaves the 99 in wilderness and goes after that which is lost until he finds it. You know, God has built into creation, almost every animal has what we call a defense mechanism, right? So we think about dogs, dogs bite, they bark. And when a, when a barking, ferocious-looking dog comes after me, I'm backing off, right? I mean, that's just what God has built that into them. And, you know, we don't think about cats as being too ferocious, but, I mean, God has given uh, cats, and if you've ever heard one at night that's outside and it's maybe being feeling threatened, you hear that, that whining sound and, and you've seen the, the claws come out, and I'm just simply saying, uh, they've got a defense mechanism. Skunks stink, right? I mean, we, I mean, that's their defense mechanism. But do you know a sheep has no defense mechanism? It has to be protected. A sheep without a shepherd is a sheep that's going to be destroyed. So when Jesus says he saw them as sheep having no shepherd, he's saying, I'm seeing these people and the ravages of their sin is destroying their life. And it's moving me. Sometimes if we're not careful, as even we, we live in a culture where you know, our world wants to make a difference. And even in, quote, Christianity, a lot of people do mission work. And, it's, and I'm, I don't think there's anything wrong with helping people with, with things like wells and, 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 you know, how to plant and how to, get, how to, how to work a, a, a field to get a bigger harvest. I don't think there's anything wrong with people instructing them as long as you use it as a means to an end to be able to preach the gospel. But the truth of the matter is that there are many who are going to the mission field and that's all they do. They do these humanitarian things and they're not preaching the gospel, not sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and I'm here to tell you that we, we understand our world doesn't need more education. It doesn't need more religion. 
It doesn't need more philosophy. It isn't social justice or political reform that we need. It isn't the redistribution of, uh, of wealth from the rich given to the poor by making reparations for past wrongs. Man's greatest need is not more physical stuff or the next new thing. The greatest need in our world tonight is the gospel of Jesus Christ and for folks to come and know the Savior. That brings me to my final thought here tonight, and that's found verses 37 and 38, and that's what I call the pressure of this prayer request. Look at verse number 37. The Bible says, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. So in the mind of Jesus, as he's trying to relay what he's sensing and what he's seeing to his disciples, because understand that this, at this point in their life, these are guys who are going to carry on the ministry. When Jesus steps off the scene, they are the church. They are going to carry on. They're going to be given the commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and uh, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you and, and establish churches and, and see people saved and baptized and discipled and, and churches established. And they're just going to do that over and over again. But I'm here to say that they have to see that, hey, they've they got to get it. They've got to understand the, the greatness of the task. So Jesus would live among a time when many people would be familiar with the farming culture. So I've spent a little time around this area. Obviously, people have some fairly significant tracts of land. Obviously, some more than others. If you come to my house in Cleveland, Ohio, you're going to see that I have a little postage-sized lot. I can run my lawnmower across the back of my yard probably about three or four times and it's mowed. <laughs> and that's okay when I'm on the road a lot. That's good, you know. But, but I'm just simply saying, it, you know, but, but when people have a, a big piece of property, there are things that they can do here. And, and, and so, you know, sometimes people that have lots of property, they've decided to do the farming thing. We talked about, a little bit about that last night, of seeing farming equipment in what we call the, the, the places where they do that. And, and in Jesus' day, they would have been very familiar with that. They would know what it was to grow crops. But when Jesus chose his words, we have to understand it wasn't about physical machinery. It's about people. So it was labor-intensive to sow the field. It was labor-intensive to bring in the harvest. And I want you to see what Jesus said. He said, he saw this, this, this in verse 36 again, or verse 37. Then saith the disciple, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. So he's not talking about sowing seed, is he? Although the implication is somebody sowed some seed. But the idea here is that he's talking about bringing in the harvest. And listen, here's one of the things you and I must understand about a harvest. I, I, don't, I didn't really comprehend this until I really studied, but you've got a short window to bring in a harvest. Uh, in other words, you don't, when the harvest is ripe, specifically certain crops are ripe, you don't have for months to wait. You, it, it's time. And, and in Jesus' day, it wasn't like, okay, I'll get my tractor out, I'll get my implements out, we'll go out and we'll bring in the harvest. I'll get my combine out, we'll harvest the wheat. No, no. It was, hey, let's get the team together. Let's get the people together. Let's get out there and let's bring in the harvest. It's labor intensive. It's physically I intensive. People have to be involved in bringing in the harvest. That's what he's saying. So there's this Vast field that's ready and it's ripe to be harvested. The harvest is ready to be brought in. Speaks of a pressing need. And then notice, if you would, he said, there's a statement there. He said, it's plenteous, but the labors are few. So, man, that's a, that's a big problem. Big harvest, but few labors. So what are we to do about that? Well, verse 38 is the command to pray to the one who sends forth labors. See, Jesus said, would you see it? Would you see this field that's ready to be 
harvested. It's vast. It's, it's great. Just a, just a handful of people right now to bring it in. And it's so, so great. So what do we do? We pray to the Lord of the harvest who will send forth labors. Now, I want you to look at that statement, please. Verse 38, please. And if you're in the habit of underscoring things or, or marking your Bible, make this, underscore this. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. And what I want you to understand is that phrase, pray ye therefore, it, it is in what's known as the imperative mode. And what that simply means is this. When Jesus said that, he wasn't saying, this, this, this is a, a good suggestion. No, no, the, the way he stated it was, this is a, literally a command, and it's a command that I'm giving to you, and it's not just to be one and done. It's a command that we are to do over and over and over again. That we as God's people are to be praying to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up folks who would go to work in the harvest to bring in the harvest. Something we must be reminded of that God has made it so that the gospel is to be proclaimed by human beings to other human beings. Now, I, I, again, I know God can use different things to bring people to Jesus Christ. He can use radio, he can use technology, but it is a human voice. It is, it is a human being who is proclaiming the truth of the gospel. There be, may be people that read the Bible and get saved from reading the Bible and come to understand, but that's few and far between. Most people get saved is because someone tells them about Jesus Christ. That's how it works. What we know is that Great Commission was, is a mandate. It, was, it wasn't a mandate. It still is a mandate to the church. With an order to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So when we think of our world tonight, here's what I, I want us to know. That the, the population is somewhere about right now about 7.2, 7.3 billion people on this planet. They're saying that we're going to close in before too long on 7.5 billion people on this planet. Now think about that. That's overwhelming. It's overwhelming when you think about the, the vast majority of those people are lost without Jesus Christ, living in spiritual darkness. So the question is, what are we doing about it? What, what am I doing about What are you doing about it? My, my question tonight is, are we hearing the voice of God here in this passage? Are we hearing him say, hey, look, do you understand what I'm seeing? Do, do you see the vastness of the harvest? Do, do you see there's a great need? Here, here's something that every person here can do. We're talking about a missions conference here. We're talking about, hey, we've got to reach the world. And there's something here, and it's even more than money. You know, sometimes the easiest thing to do is give money. While we need resources, while we, these missionaries must be supported if they're going to go do it, let me tell you what they also need. They need prayer support. And we need to be praying, God, would you do something? Would you raise up an army of people to take the gospel out to this world? Let me illustrate it this way. You could go to almost any major city in the United States of America. And, and I know there's places, please don't get me wrong, there are places in Texas in, that, that need churches. Don't, don't get me wrong. So we still need laborers in the harvest here in America. There's no question about it. There needs to be church plants. Northeast, California, Midwest. I mean, there are places where we need churches. But you could go to almost any major city in the United States of America, whether it be Chicago or New York or, or Cleveland or, or Detroit or, or Dallas or Los Angeles. You could go to some major shopping place 
And you could stand out there on tomorrow morning and lift up your voice and say, Hey, can you help me? I may have said this on Sunday. I'm not sure if I did or not. Sometimes you preach so much you don't remember where you said this. But, 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 but if I shouted, hey, could you help me? There'd probably be some people who'd stop and they'd say, well, what do you need? And I could say, I may have to do this maybe an hour or so, but I could say, look, I'm spiritually lost. Could you tell me how to get saved? And I'll tell you probably within an hour maybe a little bit more, somebody there in that shopping establishment would hear my voice and say, yes, sir, I can help you. And take a Bible and be able to share with me how I could be saved, how I can know Christ. But there are places in this world that specifically where God has burdened our heart in what we call the 1040 window. There are places where you could... From the day that you're born, listen, listen very carefully. If you don't get anything else, get this. From the day you're born, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, until the day you die, if you would say that over and over and over again, could somebody help me? Could somebody tell me who Jesus is? Could somebody tell me how to be saved? And there are people that could do that for all of their life and not one time have a Christian around them as it stands right now. To take a Bible and share with them how to be saved. I was in a preacher's meeting not long ago, and I'm going to give you some statistics. I wish they had a graphic because it would be more effective if you could hear it, see it and hear it. Listen, listen to this. There are 17,014 nations on this earth. Right now as it stands, there are 17,014 nations. There are 9,955 of those nations that have been reached with the gospel. Now when I say reached with the gospel, in other words, there's been... Gospel witnesses there, it's been there perhaps where, where people would say, hey, there's, this, there's some Christianity here. There, uh, there are 7,063 nations that are unreached. When we say unreached, we're saying that there are less than 2% of the population that are evangelical Christian with sufficient resources to begin or to sustain a church planting movement. They don't have enough sufficient Resources, so they 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 may have had they have the gospel, but they don't have enough resources, so they're what unreached in that sense. So a practical definition would be this: no church, no gospel presence, no scriptures, and no access really to the gospel. Those are what we call the unreached nations. Seven thousand sixty-three. Of that seven thousand sixty-three, listen to this: forty-seven hundred and fifty-seven nations are completely unengaged. When we mean unengaged, it, it means there's currently no church planning strategy underway that is consistent with a evangelical Christianity or a biblical-based Christianity of faith and practice. It practically means no church, no gospel presence, no scripture, no access, and no one doing anything about it. Let me say that again. Of the 7,063, 4,757 nations, nobody doing anything about them coming to Christ. Think about this. There are 7,117 living languages in, in our world. So in other words, if we broke down our world of, of tongues, there are 7,117 languages that people speak. Of those languages, only 698 have a whole Bible. 1,548 have a New Testament. And 1,138 have a portion of the Bible. 
That means there are 3,733 languages that have no Bible or even a scripture portion in their tongue. I don't know if you understand the severity of that. You would think 2,000 years after Jesus said, pray for laborers, that we would have done a better job. I'm ashamed. Literally, listen, listen to me, I'm ashamed of myself tonight. That I haven't done more. If I was living in spiritual darkness with no hope of someone bringing me the gospel. I sure would want it. I, I, sh- I wouldn't even know that I, I needed it, but I would want it. If I, if I knew it was possible, they don't even know it's possible. So you say, preacher, what can we do? Here it is. This is, this is the message tonight. Pray. Let me talk to you who are parents tonight. Can I have your attention? If you're a parent here tonight, just listen to me very carefully. How many of us as parents have said to the Lord, Lord, you give me children. Take them and use them. Lord, raise them up. Make them linguists. Have a heart to learn languages and translate the scripture. Make them missionaries that can carry the gospel to a, a needy people. I'm a, I'm a parent. Listen, look, I'm a parent. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a proud parent. And I love being around my grandkids and my kids. I, I love it. When we're able to get together, it's just, it, there's, to, to me, that's a little bit of heaven on this earth. Two of my sons are pastors. My oldest son is a businessman. He's involved in his local church. So they're, they're all serving the Lord. But I've got 10, almost 11 grandchildren. I have a, the 11th will be born in, in February, Lord willing, come, coming. You know what I pray? I say, God, take my grandkids. Why? Why, why shouldn't I pray that prayer? Why shouldn't you pray that prayer? We, we want our kids around us, but look, I would rather have my kids on the mission field serving Christ than being living next door and living for the devil. God's, God, God's not going to call all of them, but he's going to call some of them. And it starts with a willing heart. It starts with us saying, Lord, I see what you're saying here. There's a vast harvest, but there's so few laborers. So, Lord, help us to raise up some laborers. God wants to be known in this world. It's our responsibility to make him known. Not just where it's easy, but where to go into all the world. Not just some of the world. And preach the gospel. I guess I'm just burdened. And if I can just maybe transfer a little bit of that burden. That's really what Missions Conference is about, isn't it? It's us getting a burden. It's us picking up a burden and say, God, what can we do? And Jesus gives, it, gives us an answer here. He says, would you just pray? I don't know if you can do this or not, but here's a little suggestion. Most of us have smartphones, don't we? And some of you perhaps have the ability to do this. Some of you wouldn't because of work or maybe school. But I was preaching this last year someplace, and a little dear mother came to me who does homeschooling. She said, 
because I was talking about the 1041, the, the need to, to reach the 1041, and here's what she said. She said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go home, and she said, I'm going to set our, my alarm on my, on my smartphone, and it's going to go off at 1040 every morning. And when we get there, when that alarm goes off at 1040, we're just going to stop homeschooling. We're going to pray for the 1040 window. That God would raise up some laborers. Just a, just a simple reminder of that. At 1040, pray, praying for laborers. All of us can do that. You, you may not be able to do it at 1040, but you could do it sometime. But do you, can you see the burden here tonight? Can you see what Jesus was saying? It hasn't changed. It's, in fact, it's, if anything, it's intensified. The, the population has exploded since the days of Jesus. There's, there's a great need of reaching the world. Amen. If we truly believe the only answer, do you think that, hey, these people that are living in spiritual darkness, that God's just going to overlook their sin when they, when they die because they, they, don't, they didn't have somebody to proclaim the gospel? If that's the case, why would we bother send missionaries? There'd be no reason to send missionaries if God just overlooks people's ignorance. No, no, he holds us all accountable. Romans 1 tells us, hey, hey there's a God, that we, he can be seen in creation. He can be seen in the conscience. And so all men are responsible. Now, is there a greater damnation for people that have the truth and reject it? Of course there is. Is there greater? I, I believe there's greater punishments in hell, but I'm just simply saying, people are still dying without Jesus. We've got to do something about that. And one of the things we can do we're going to determine, we're going to pray. Pray for your children, pray for your grandchildren. Pray for yourself. Say, Lord, if you want to make me a laborer, I'm available. I'm available. Send me to the mission field. Give me a, give me a, a, a purpose, give me a cause, and I'll follow it. Let's bow our heads together in prayer tonight. Thank you for listening. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.